This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. My name is Lydia Cruz. Thanks for hanging out with us on this fine Saturday. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And wow, does it seem like we are just turning the page on June and now we're, we're reaching the end. We're reaching July 4th. It's right around the corner. Fourth of July plans have to be, have to be uh, on the forefront for people. It's one of those that you can't just, it can't just be right around the corner. It is, it's, it, I feel like it's an event, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Traditionally, that was the start of warm weather. Yeah. Well, you're already seeing uh, the tents begin to, to be put up in the parking lots. Of Staking out fireworks Fireworks stands and... Uh, we have partnerships with a number of different uh, Indian tribes and casinos, and so when I go make uh, uh, you know business calls and meetings, the fireworks stands are all set up, and people are starting to load in. So it's 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 around the corner. You got to be prepared with the right plan for food and drink. And as we mentioned on one of the previous shows, the Fourth of July is one of the biggest alcohol consumption holidays of the year. So be prepared. Also, yeah, one of those ones where we always want to make sure you're out there and being safe on that holiday. Totally. So on our minds. But speaking of getting prepared, later in the hour, we will have a brand new cocktail recipe for yep. you. Maybe if you're trying to get ready for those parties, we'll have that later in this hour. It's also an important week, both locally and nationally. I think this is pretty cool. It is Negroni Week. It is. Negroni Week is back upon us. This is now, I think, the fourth or fifth year where it's become a, um, a significant event in the industry. It really started in 2013. Mm-hmm. Of course, Campari uh, is the primary sponsor of that. They make uh, Campari, which is the liqueur that goes in to make the Negroni cocktail. This Negroni Week is presented now by Imbibe Magazine and Campari joining together. The uh, there'll be over over ten thousand venues participating, and they've collected almost two million dollars to date for charitable causes. Uh, they've got a bunch of official charity partners, and so we at the Heritage Distilling Company locations are going to have Negronis featuring our gin, and uh, maybe a few riffs on Negroni using something other than gin. And you know, it's a great thing to uh, educate people on cocktail culture. On for somebody who is not experienced with the Negroni or has never, how would you describe it? A Negroni, if I had to sum it up into a type of fruit, I would sum it up into like a pomegranate. If you eat a pomegranate seed, it has a particular texture that can almost have kind of a a chalky feel to it. So the Campari has a similar texture on my palate, Uh, not in a bad way. Just interesting. And when that mixes, it's it's an herbal liqueur, right? And so when it mixes with the gin and the botanical notes of the gin, and you've got a fresh lemon twist in there, it makes an amazing cocktail with tremendous balance all across your entire palate. Wow. So really textured, layered, and yeah. interesting. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, Negroni Week will make sure people get down to Heritage Distilling where they can participate in this. And yeah, remember... It's all for a charitable cause, which is is great to hear as well. What's going on in the headlines this week? First up, major change in uh, policy coming out of the NFL. It's uh, never been allowed for wine or spirits companies to officially officially partner with NFL teams. When I say officially partner, that means uh, when you hear things like, you know, the official partner of, the official Mm -hmm. sponsor of. Those are trademark deals that require you to have the uh, actual agreement in place. So the NFL is changing their policies in a number of ways. They're going to allow spirits and wine companies to become official 
partners of and use the trademarks and logos. And then in beer, uh, the major change is they're allowing players to begin to appear in ads for beer. You can have a single player by himself. If you want more than one player, you have to have six. That's wow. the rule. Kind of strange. Yeah. So you can you'll you might see Bud Light with a single player, or multiple players. It has to be six. Uh, you have to also sign a separate deal with each of the players to pay them a sponsorship fee in addition to use of the rights of the team fee. So it'll be interesting to see what happens from the beer companies and how many um, teams and players start to get involved in the beer side. Mm-hmm. And then to see how many spirits and wine companies become official partners of local teams. Can you see that being a really popular thing? I mean, it seems, oh, yeah. yeah, it seems like beer has been part of football as long as I can remember. Yeah, so the experience at the game, people drink beer. They don't drink wine and spirits as much. But advertising in front of 10 million eyeballs a week per game or whatever people are doing All in their the people region. people watching at home. That's right. That's right. Go wow. buy stuff, make cocktails, have a party. So we might, yeah, we might be seeing more of our favorite players in beer ads. We'll have to keep an eye on that and right. talk about them right here on Cast Club Radio. That's right. Uh, next up, out of San Francisco, the San Francisco Chronicle reports a rat-infested pop-up bar is soon to open. This is no joke. It will be um, a bar that features rats that are allowed to run free, eat and drink on the counters and on the floors and do whatever. You can get a ticket to uh, attend this pop-up bar event for forty nine ninety nine a person. What? It's running this month, and they have drinks that are riffs on the names like the Amaretto Sour, uh, which is a riff on the Amaretto Sour. This to me is something that I would really not have an interest in going to. Yeah, not he- not my cup of tea. I yeah. understand they are it is for a nonprofit. Yep. It's for the radical rodent rescue. Okay. And so I do support nonprofit causes, but I have to say it's one of those that I uh, I, I don't see myself participating. These two things don't really mix. I wonder together. if they had to get a special license from the health department. I would think so, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Kind of odd. And also, 50 bucks a ticket seems a pretty steep ticket unless everything's all included. I don't know. Yeah. Really crazy, interesting. Crazy. Uh, and then lastly, um, Grey Goose is launching a new, what they call a groundbreaking cocktail machine. Uh, Bacardi, owner of Grey Goose Vodka, they are looking to revolutionize the cocktail culture with what they claim is the world's first sub-zero draft cocktail tap system. We'll be able to put up a number of bottles of different kinds of uh, mixers, all connected by hoses and valves. And, of course, they want you to put Grey Goose Vodka in the vodka portion of it and uh, then hit the buttons and watch it create cocktails for you all at uh, below zero in a way, so your cocktail comes out nice and chilled. No word yet on how much this is going to cost or how big of a setup it is. Uh, just in the photo they, they have shown here, it looks like it's about the size of one of the original microwave ovens, which were quite large. If you yeah. If, but you weren't around I don't think 70s. I remember those, yeah, but this is, and from this photo, it is pretty darn elaborate. It is. It is. It's almost like a uh, what you'd see walking into a lobby of an office building for a barista making yeah, cappuccinos and stuff absolutely. like that. It's about that size. So can you see this taking off in the future? Uh, I just think it's complicated and uh, probably expensive. And, um, you know, I think this is Grey Goose attempting to regain the mantle of relevance in the vodka world since Tito's has essentially taken everybody yeah. out. So, well, maybe this is one of those things you mentioned the very first microwave oven. We saw that they have 
clearly evolved since then. Is this maybe one of those things that gets simpler, that gets smaller, that gets easier to use as time goes on? Uh, Well, the problem is that the limiting factor is the amount of liquid you want to have and all the various different kinds of mixers that go in. So you're going to be constrained by size there. Really, I don't think Grey Goose would appreciate my reference of comparing them to a microwave oven either. (laughs) I I think they'd probably take offense at that. Our friends in France. (laughs) But that's okay. (laughs) Man. Okay. Well, this is available. This story, we'll post it online at heritagedistilling.com so you can check it out for yourself. But coming up on Cast Club Radio, are you a red wine drinker or a white wine drinker? Usually you have a preference towards one or the other. You might be surprised at some of the weird differences between people who prefer red wine to white wine. It's next right here on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us on this fine Saturday. And we teased it before the break, but usually you have a preference, red or white wine. Justin, do you? Red. You're a red drinker. Yes. I have gravitated between both at certain times in my life. Really started out as a white wine drinker and now have made my way over to the red side a little bit more. Mm Mm-hmm. But we found this great article from MarketWatch.com that talks about some of the weird differences between red and white wine drinkers. If you have a preference, if you have a heavy preference towards one. Yeah, and I think part of it is the part of the country you live in because it's often driven by temperature and food. Absolutely. You know, if you're in the Midwest, you are exposed to a lot of steak, you know, big beef country, Mm -hmm. uh, not a lot of fresh fish. And, like we uh, have up here, yeah. A lot of chicken and pork, right? And so if you're if you're uh, pairing wine with food, the food drives a lot of that. If you are in Florida and it's 90 degrees and 90% humidity, you're not likely to ask for a big, hefty glass of a very deep cab. You're probably going to want something chilled <laughs> and light, right? And so I think weather and geography plays into that. That's so true. I, w- I was watching since I work on the sports side. It was a couple years ago. There was a... A major sports figure that it might have been even our local community or it might have been a national guy who was uh, vilified because they he was caught drinking like a huge glass of red wine yeah. at one of the baseball games. Yeah. And it was warm, you know, yeah. it was really warm out. Yeah. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because yeah. why? <laughs> I can't fathom that. But hey, more power to you. I would yeah. want a chilled white wine on said kind of day. And I think it depends on what your first consumption experience was, you know, based on what it is. And there are some people who do attempt to consume alcohol when they're in high school, Mm -hmm. uh, which we don't advocate. And then they move into college and then, you know, their professional lives after they graduate from college. And the quality of the product that you have. Yeah. uh, When you're younger, you tend to want sweeter things. As you get older, your palate changes. Your palate becomes more sophisticated. Your taste buds actually change. And so you're able to withstand some of the more intense flavor profiles Mm -hmm. that are oftentimes found in red wine. And I think that helps to uh, contribute to that migration from white to red. Sometimes it's a taste aversion thing. Um, I stopped drinking all white wine for a few years because I was at a restaurant and uh, we were having white wine and, and I got food poisoning. Oh, no. And so I physically couldn't drink a glass of white wine because it just reminded me of that episode. And so, um, you know, that kind of aversion thing is a real It's thing. real. It's real. My mom still has that for tequila from when she was like yeah. 22. Yeah. Because she got sick one time. Southern so, Comfort, you know, yeah, that kind of real. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so 
let's see here what the folks at MarketWatch have to say. They did a they conducted a survey of 2,000 Americans, age 21 and over, on their personality traits. The poll was conducted on behalf of Coravin. Now, are you familiar with the Coravin? No. So the Coravin, uh, Coravin uh, spelled C-O-R-A-V-I-N, is a very cool device. It has a needle. And it has a little gas cartridge that goes on the back of it. And you pop the needle into the cork oh, yeah. while it's still in the wine. And you push the button. And there's a spout. And the gas goes in and it displaces the liquid. So the wine comes out. You can pull out a sample if you want for just a taste. Or you can pour wow. out a glass at a time. And one of my good friends was one of the original investors in this wow. company. And it's doing fantastic. Imagine you have uh, a very high-end wine collection at a restaurant. Upscale restaurant. Upscale. That's exactly yeah. where I went. $1,000 a bottle. You want to test it to see, is it legit? Is it still good? You pop this in. You pour out maybe a half ounce. You taste it. You smell it. Yes, it's still a good bottle of wine. You don't have to you know, worry about offering it for a thousand bucks. Maybe um, you are single or you're, um, you know, having dinner by yourself. You want one glass and you don't want the rest of the bottle to be exposed to the air. Remember oxidation prunes wine. You pour out one glass and the gas on top, it's an inert gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it protects the wine. No oxygen has gotten in there. And then you could leave that wine to sit for weeks or months and have no issues and go open up the rest of it. Wow. Because when you pull the needle out, the hole in the cork seals itself back up. Wow, that's incredible. So it's a great incredible. device. Yeah, you know, it's a and uh, they retail, I think, for about 300 bucks, and they're all over the place now. Anyway, we get back to the poll. Uh, nearly half of red wine drinkers consider themselves to be aficionados, 35%. <laughs> I'm sorry, 45%, compared okay. to uh, less than a third of white wine drinkers uh, consider themselves to be aficionados. So if I ask you to close your eyes and... Uh, I'm doing it. Okay. Closing my eyes. And describe the prototypical consumer who's drinking a glass of white wine versus <laughs> a someone drinking a glass of red wine, what is the image that pops into your brain? I'm just going to go with what I look like when I'm drinking. It's so true. Okay. When I'm drinking like a glass of white wine, I feel like I'm, I could care less. I mean, I, I, I still have some standards. Yep. I don't like very sweet wine, yep. so I stay on the salve side or yep. something. But but in, in general, I feel almost a it's almost a societal pressure yeah. to feel like I'm like you know uh, something. Yes, like I know it. something when yeah. I'm drinking red wine, especially if you're in a group or a present presence with others. Yeah. I do that's really interesting to me. Question. Yes. If I say white wine, uh someone's drinking white wine, the first thing that pops in your head is it a male or female? Um probably female cuz it's me. Okay. And if I say red wine, is it a male or female? Uh I don't know. Is there a I, distinction? No, not okay. really. If I say white wine, do you think older, younger, middle-aged consumer? Holding that class right now. Wow. I'm going to go younger. Okay. How about red wine? I'm going to go older. Older. Interesting. Um, if, I, if I ask you, uh, the white wine drinker, what kind of car does he or she drive? What are you thinking? I have no idea. What, what, like, like a class of car. I'm just going to go with me again okay. uh, because I drive, I, so I drive like a, a Subaru Forester, okay. very mid, yeah. And if I say red wine, what kind of car is that person Nicer driving? Nicer car. Like a Nicer Lexus car or something than mine, like that? Yeah. <laughs> See, it's just kind of interesting, the, <laughs> the perspective. That, yeah. Okay, so the red wine drinkers, over, almost half, consider themselves aficionados, and then the white wine drinkers, uh, less than a third said so. Let's see, the other interesting thing here, white wine drinkers enjoyed punk music while the red wine drinkers enjoyed jazz. I'm a little surprised by that. I am too. I don't know a lot of people who are consuming jazz these days, but I do know a lot of people are consuming red wine. So I, I don't know how I feel about that data yeah. point. 
that seems maybe that that one might be more a victim of the small sample size or who knows. Yeah. I would be interested to see if this were replicated, if more people would have that response. White wine drinkers tended to be more extroverted, more outgoing, and red wine drinkers described themselves as introverts, okay. uh, more shy. Uh, white wine drinkers identified themselves as sarcastic, perfectionists, curious, and they also tend to be night owls. While the red wine drinkers are early birds, they get up early, they identified themselves as humble, adventurous, and organized. Now, I always question someone who describes himself as being humble because <laughs> uh, that is the lack of definition of humility. Yeah, <laughs> is, it's true. Yeah, you know, thank, thank me for being how... how for as I'm humble as I very am. Very humble. Yeah. 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 So I think that's interesting. Let me just tell you about how humble I am. Yeah. Wow, too. And some of this may be also, you know, when you take, you have that little bit of bias when you are taking a survey and you yeah. think you're putting down the answer that you people expect you yep. to put down. Uh, white wine drinkers spend $3 less per bottle than red wine drinkers. And the average bottle of red wine that the red wine drinkers will purchase is $40 a bottle wow. versus 37 Okay. And, uh, you know, I think 37 is a little high for the average white wine I've I seen at the stores. I can't tell you that I've spent $37 on a bottle of white wine yeah. ever. So, um, and this is interesting now. Again, I wonder how they chose the population because uh, Coravin is designed for kind of higher end mm-hmm. wines and the connoisseur um, will post information about the poll here. They also interviewed folks who are wine curators and they said what is your observation of the guests who settle in for dinner or or nightcap what do you see and they said the personality differences are interesting they noticed that white wine sells more often for the after work crowd versus red wine which is more of people actually settling in for dinner as opposed to just going to work to have after work to go to have a drink so does this jive with your with what you thought when you i mean what you know about your personal preference yeah i i think uh Again, if I ask you to close your eyes and say, person X is consuming this, person Y is consuming this, and so on, describe them, I would kind of come up with, I think, similar answers yeah. in terms of what I assume the consumer to be like. Well, if you agree or don't agree, I mean, maybe you fall into one of these categories, let us know. We are always want to hear your feedback and your input as well. Uh, we'll post this online at heritagedistilling.com. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, we're going to take a shift from the wine industry into cocktails. It's Negroni Week, and we want to help you celebrate and kick it off right. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. We mentioned it earlier in the show, but on Monday, it's the beginning of Negroni Week, which is not only a local thing. It's not even just a U.S. thing. It's across the globe that people are celebrating the classic drink. And there's also a great charitable element to this. So we will get to that here in just a few minutes. But up first, uh, Maura, we found a couple of interesting facts about the world's second best cocktail that is according uh, to which study? This is according to the Drinks International Cocktail Review. Okay, and Uh, they they, do this every year. Yes. So four years running, the Negroni has been the number two cocktail. Can you guess what number one is? I am cheating a little bit because I know this one, but um, (laughs) I'm going with the old-fashioned. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. I would put it pretty high on my list. It's just so classic, and I think that whatever trends may come into the market, we talk about a lot of them on this show. 
but there's some things that will just always stand the test of time. I think the old fashioned is definitely one of them. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm actually surprised that Negroni has been number two for so long only because it, it is a little bit bitter. It is like an acquired mm-hmm. taste. It's not something that's really, I, I have to admit, has ever been a go-to order for me. But it, I think it is a classic and it is something that people want to try. And there are a lot of variations you can do with it. And I think also it speaks to probably the global appeal of the Negroni having been invented in Italy yes. and having some heavy footing in the European market, where I think in general their palates are attuned a little bit more to the bitter side. Very true, I think. And maybe in the States, we're a little bit more on the sweet side, or I, I don't I don't know exactly. That's not science. Don't quote me on that. But uh, <laughs> just from my adventures in Europe, I would say, yeah, they're, they're very, um, whether it's the Scandinavian countries, they are just very, uh, there's a lot of bitter profiles in everything. So this makes sense and to me. And a lot me. of gin. Yeah, that makes yes. sense to me too. I went to, I stayed at a hotel in Rome that had a gin bar in it. Oh, and, cool! Um, and I had a—I was served a white Negroni there. Uh, it wow. was—it was made with an alcohol. I'm actually not exactly sure how to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say Suze. It's S-U-Z-E, mm-hmm. and it's more of a floral. Um, it's a French liqueur with little citrus notes to it. So you can also get a Negroni that doesn't. I—I I think technically it's not allowed to be called a Negroni. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but they're I, going with it. I think you're right. I think that it's an Italian thing. It actually was started there in the year 1919 in Florence when Count Camillo Negroni ordered an Americano cocktail, but decided it was time for a change. He wanted a touch of gin instead of soda, which is apparently what it came with before that. So so we owe this all to Mr. Count Negroni. What yeah. a legacy for his name. Yeah, it wouldn't have thought in my mind that it started in Florence, per se, just because I associate so much. I don't really associate that many cocktails with Italy because wine is always on my mind when it comes to Italy. But, um, of course, Campari Campari being the essential ingredient in a Negroni, and Campari has roots a little earlier than that. 1860 is when it was invented, and uh, a classic spirit originally produced in a distillery near Milan in 1904, so invented, but then really more mass-produced later on, and it is a secret recipe to this day. It has remained unchanged. Uh, for over a century now and obtained from the infusion of bitter herbs, aromatic plants, and fruit in alcohol and water. So you mentioned the white Negroni you had, still that herbal element mm-hmm. when they didn't use uh, when they didn't use necessarily Campari, but something that's tying those two drinks together. Yeah, I, I love all the history behind it. I think and I think when you get a good bartender, you usually get a little bit of a history lesson or a background yes. with a drink like this. So I think that that's probably another reason why it's popular. I think that's what makes drinks, food and drinks so fun, actually, because I anytime you visit a place or you have a new cultural experience, getting to know the context and why and how this certain thing came to be is pretty incredible. And usually they're amazing stories, whether we've talked about in the past, it started out as a medicinal cure or, you know, just a happenstance, a happy accident that ended up creating it. In this instance, thank you, Count Camilo, because you just decided to put a little 
twist, your own personal yeah. stance on this, and it's now become one of the most popular cocktails in the world, the second I most like popular four years running. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to check this out locally, Negroni Week is starting on Monday. So it goes June 24th through June 30th. Like we said, it's it's national. It's, it's in Seattle, but it's also in San Francisco, New York, Portland, Chicago, and then internationally, Vancouver, uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Berlin, and Buenos Aires. So it's really, really popular. Here locally, we have actually talked to um, our friend Amanda Reed at Heartwood Provisions, an amazing bartender who, like we were talking mm-hmm. about, if you if you want to go somewhere where it's really more of an experience and education, she's not only been a bartender for years, but she also, I believe, got certified by the uh, Master Court of Sommeliers, knows yeah. her stuff. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed when we talked to her about the cocktail program there, and they are going to be participating in this. They actually sent us over... The recipe, they're going to be using Copperworks, barrel-aged gin, Campari, and a house-blended sweet vermouth. Ooh. So you might want to go check that out. Yeah, celebrate Negroni Week. It's it's your opportunity to get in on it. And maybe you aren't that bitter. Maybe it is a little too bitter for you. The great thing about this, too, is you will have bartenders a lot of times that want to work with you on finding a version, a variation that works for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's all also got this cool charitable element all this week where the actual participating bars and restaurants can pick which charity they want the proceeds to go to, which is neat. Yeah, I was looking at the list and it's really cool because they made it really broad. I feel like whether you want to save the animals, save the planet, work on, you know, social justice issues, equality, there there was homelessness, there was some some kind of aspect for for all of the restaurants to choose what's near and dear to their heart. And I I love the fact that we talk about this a lot, but anytime you can go out and drink and socialize and do it for a good cause, that's pretty amazing. And uh, don't forget that Heritage Distilling will, of course, be participating too. And they've got tasting rooms everywhere now. You can go in Gig Harbor, Ballard, Capitol Hill. Uh, Obviously, they're they're in Portland as well. So Rosalind, if you're heading through the middle of the state, and remember, when you are going out, don't be afraid to, A, we'll ask about the drink, ask about the history, learn a little something through this experience, but also ask about possible variations. We were reading some of these, and some of the unique creative ideas that people have come up with are pretty impressive, also proving just how versatile a Negroni can be whether it is uh, replacing the gin with the Chinese spirit baijiu, which we've talked about on this show several times, another restaurant adding a tea liqueur from Taiwan into the mix, and having a broken Negroni, which I, I just like that, which has Prosecco in, in the menu. Oh, I haven't so, heard of that one. Yeah. Well, and also we were just talking to Distiller Dane a couple weeks ago about all of the fun spins on gin that he yes. has done. And I bet one of those would be fabulous in a Negroni as well. There you go. They've got four different ones there at Heritage Distilling. So make sure you ask about those when you visit one of the tasting rooms. And happy Negroni Week, everybody. It starts on Monday. Once again, happy and safe celebrating. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, speaking of some of these world travels and where we've been, the experience we've had in trying food and beverages abroad, Justin Stiefel headed out on a pretty incredible family trip, three-week family trip, and a lot of it rooted in the history of their family, and it's pretty incredible. I get to talk to him all about it next on Cast Club Radio, plus great cocktail recipe. Don't miss out. It's next on Cast Club Radio.
Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. In just a few minutes for you, we've got a great cocktail recipe for you to help celebrate Negroni Week, because remember that's going on all for a charitable cause this week. So that's in just a few minutes. But first, it is getting into the summer now, which means school's out, which means hmm. is there a Stiefel family trip that's coming up? Yeah, a three-week trip to Europe. This is uh, so cool. It's cool. And again, it shows the tenacity and power of uh, my wife, Jennifer, who, you know, you know, she's and a love, rock and... star, a celebrity in my mind. So five of us are going, plus her mom and dad, and uh, seven tickets. Wow. Okay. We're going to first to Iceland and then to uh, Switzerland okay. and, then, and then Innsbruck, Austria, and then Italy. And she found a villa in Italy for a week in Tuscany with its own private pool and all this stuff. We're going to be in Sorrento, where she got an apartment in downtown Sorrento. Uh, we're going to go to Naples. And then we fly to uh, Norway. Oh, wow. And we go to the very top of Norway. And we take what's called the Houthi-Ruten, which is a cruise vessel mm-hmm. ferry. So it's their ferry system, but with high-end dining on it and staterooms. So imagine the Washington State ferry system taking you, you know, from here up to Juneau, Alaska. Yeah. You know, for the course of several days. So And right in probably their good getting into their summer. Oh, so it's, it's solstice. Just beautiful. It's summer solstice. Oh wow. Yeah, so it's twenty four hours of daylight up there. Oh my coming gosh. we're gonna be north of the Arctic Circle coming down. And the cool thing is it's a family trip because her family hails from Norway and so we're gonna go see the cousins and and everybody and go see the old homestead sites where they've been in the family for 700 years. I mean, real history. So she's most proud of these couple of facts. She was able to get all the airline tickets with miles. Didn't, you, didn't oh pay for them. She was able to book all the hotel rooms with Marriott points. Uh, the only thing we have to pay for is food and some rental cars. Jennifer, you're my hero. Crazy. She's got a binder. Literally, it's like a, a one and a half inch thick three ring binder. Um, so Itineraries, uh, oh, yeah. plans. I'm sure they're Stuff. all immaculately color coded is what oh, yeah. I was saying, man. She's amazing. She is. She's, She's amazing. a rock star. So you mentioned family history and yeah. that is so much a part of heritage distilling in general. Yeah. Every spirit has a story. Yeah. So is there a family history component to just about every part of this trip? Did you choose some just because you wanted to go to certain places? Some of it was driven by where the free tickets with miles also, were. those Marriott points. The Marriott points and the airline uh, ticket, yeah. airline points, because uh, you are limited based on time of year and seat availability. Sure. And so you've got to pick the routes. So she's spent a lot of time picking the routes. So we're landing... Uh, it's a layover in Iceland, going to do the Blue Lagoon, and then um, we terminate in Zurich, Switzerland. Okay, okay. That's where the ticket ended up. So we'll spend a couple of days there. She found this very cool trolley car, the fondue trolley. <laughs> so you sit on the trolley car, and it goes all through downtown, like an old-fashioned San Francisco rail car. Yeah. But you're seated at a table, and they're making fondue at your table. <laughs> and so your family's sitting there having fondue, rolling through downtown Zurich. No big deal. What more could you want? Yeah. So kind of like those cool bar, you know, now they're doing like the, the pedaling yeah. carts, kind of like that. But a full-on full streetcar. Oh, yeah. yes. And then uh, Innsbruck, we're going to go to Innsbruck, Austria, and... 40,000 students live in Innsbruck at universities there going Com- to school. Compared, so the whole population of it uh, is... is not much bigger. It's okay. like majority it students. It's all college. It's, it's all a big, school. yeah, but from all around the world. Wow. And so our oldest son is a freshman, and, you know, this he's starting to think about school and stuff, and he's very worldly. He's, mm-hmm. he's learning Chinese. He's in his second year of Chinese already in high school. Loves to travel, see the world. And so uh, for him to go see a real college town in Europe, 
you, you may get the bug and want to go to school there. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Or at least, I mean, maybe even semester abroad, year abroad, yeah, who totally. knows? But that is fun. Totally. And so what is the thing that you think you're most looking forward to? It's hard to pick from all that. Well, we're going to Trento, Italy, which is where we get all of our stills. We've got a lot of new equipment on order. So, so there's doing... a small work component to it? There's or a work at least component. You, can, you just be like, yeah, totally. we're working. We're 100%. totally working. This yeah, thing. we're going to go see the equipment. Yeah. Um, um, make sure that no modifications are needed. Uh, we're going to plan some additional new equipment we need. We happen to be there. Um, Trento is in northern Italy, mm-hmm. and the mountains are beautiful. It's at the foot of the uh, Dolomites, which is uh, the Italian Alps. And uh, we've got dinner at a castle on the lake, which is just picturesque and amazing. Um, it's kind of interesting. You drive through the valley up these highways, and you look to your right, and there's a castle. You look to your left, there's a castle. It's like over the course of a 1,000 years, you couldn't just buy somebody else's castle. You had to build your own castle. Yeah. It's like Oprah. There's a castle yeah. for you, and there's a castle for you, and you get a castle. <laughs> but the history is amazing. It is, and all those things have stood the test of time. When I traveled to Europe last year, I just keep thinking that. I mean, these some of these places have withstood world wars and these oh, yeah. incredible buildings, <laughs> this incredible architecture, all this history. And I'm sure along the way, you'll be having... Obviously, I heard the fondue, so some great food, but also yep. some great things to drink in these different places. Oh, yeah. Uh, we already have a full list of <clears throat> distilleries and wineries that some of our partners have set us up with for tours and tastings. And uh, it's the cool part about our industry is as you begin to network and build these connections, you get access and uh, information that mm-hmm. you know the average consumer might not know about that you didn't know. Oh, yeah, they'll do private tastings for a group. Um, that they don't normally do, or they'll open for you on a Sunday when they normally wouldn't be, or whatever. Well, so that is neat. The yeah. three week adventure, perfectly planned out by Jennifer. Yes, and I can't wait to hear about it. So we're gonna have to when you when you're back, we're gonna have to get a, like maybe we need a whole show that's a rundown of all these incredible things. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then we're we're very excited. We get back, and then we a week later fly to. Cooperstown. Cooperstown. Let's We're going to go. go to Cooperstown and watch Edgar get inducted Edgar, in the Hall of Fame. Edgar. Yeah, that's not a bad summer vacation there, yeah, Justin. Pretty good. Slash work trip, slash work research, it's field all work. research. It's all work. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, we are so excited for you. I'm excited to hear about it. In the meantime, for people who are local and wanting to celebrate Negroni Week, we've got a great cocktail recipe for them. We do. Here's the Negroni. Uh, we call this the Negroni Deluxe. Uh, it's fizzy. It's a little sweeter. It's lower proof. Uh, it's really easy drinking, um, especially on a, on a warm day, a little easier than a traditional Negroni. So get a highball glass or a, a short cocktail glass. Put in a half ounce of our Elk Rider gin, a half ounce of Campari, a dash of Luxardo Maraschino liqueur, which you can get at any really good liquor store. Add some ice, top it with Prosecco or uh, champagne, and uh, give it a gentle stir. Garnish it with a twist of orange. Now, um, why is it lower proof? Well, because you're only using a half ounce of gin and a half ounce of Campari, uh, and you're topping it off with Prosecco, which is lower alcohol, probably about 14 or 15%. So uh, normally in a cocktail, you'd be using an ounce and a half of gin. But here you have a total of one ounce total of spirits between the Campari and the gin. So it's a little lower alcohol and uh, on a hot day is going to be amazing. Like nice and refreshing. And yeah, sounds like a great way to get this holiday season. I say holiday because July 4th, as we mentioned, right around the corner. So if you want to celebrate Negroni Week, if you want to plan for parties out in the future, we're going to have this available for you at HeritageDistilling.com. You can check out past cocktail recipes there as well. And also download episodes of Cast Club Radio. That's right. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And, of course, we've got six distillery tasting rooms up and running. 
Roslyn over in eastern Washington. If you've got travel going over to eastern Washington, uh, stop off in Roslyn right next to Suncadia, right in the heart of downtown. If you are staying around here or have friends coming in into downtown Seattle, go to the tasting room in Capitol Hill or Ballard. And, of course, uh, we always welcome people down in Gig Harbor and all the way down in Eugene. Awesome. Thank you, guys. We'll see you here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.